0: Well, as you're sitting down, why don't you turn with me to the book of Romans. Again, we're in Romans 15, and today we'll be covering verses uh, 30 through verses 33. Well, believe it or not, it's Palm Sunday, and uh, the Sunday when we uh, prepare for Easter Sunday, which, believe it or not, will be a week from today, Resurrection Sunday, and Today I'd like to do just that, to prepare for Easter Sunday and to kind of prime the pump for what we're going to be experiencing uh, in just one week. Next Sunday, uh, Mark Hill is going to be preaching, as I explained in my congregational email last week. And uh, he's going to be focusing, and he shared with me how God has led him. It's going to be in a powerful way on the story of the prodigal son and on the love of the Father um, in a more seeker-sensitive service because we will have a lot of seekers there. A lot of our folks will be out of town, a lot of visitors, Lord willing, a lot of those that we've invited ourselves over the, this last 40 days. And Mark is uniquely gifted to address the seeker crowd. And to prepare for that next week, today I'd like to, I'd like to celebrate something. I'd like to celebrate the the resurrected spirit of care that came from the Father through Jesus Christ that we can share. As we near the end of our 40-day fast as a congregation, it's going to be actually this coming Saturday, the day before Easter, will be the 40th day as we look to completing our 40 days of prayer and fasting. Today, I'd like to celebrate the resurrected spirit of care that's released through prayer. Underneath all that we've been praying for the last 40 days, we've been looking at the sincerity of Paul's passion for ministry, of his love for people, the same sincerity that can make us the caring community that we want to be. Paul showed us his sincerity in three ways. We've seen his affection for the fellowship For just being together, that was last week, in verse 23, for instance, of chapter 15. I have had for many years a longing to come to you. We've seen that when there's the longing and the uh, leisure just to be together, it shows that our love is real. Remember last week? And that it's truly sincere just like it was for Paul. Secondly, this week, we're going to see his dependence on on them. His dependence on the brethren, uh, out of which he asked them, verse 30, to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. We're going to see today that there is a safety net of care that we call prayer. One that we, you know, dare not leave home without, especially these days. It's a necessity to survival these days. And the knowledge of this necessity can unite us as a caring community because we need each other to pray for each other. It, that, the knowledge of how much we need each other in that way can unite us in all sincerity because we've got a vested interest in being together through the resurrected spirit of care that is released through prayer, unlike anything else. So he says, Now I urge you, brethren, that's verse 30 again, I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. This shows us really what fueled Paul's ministry because in verses 28 and 29 we see Paul's life and then in verses 30 to 33 we see his lifeline. And there was a one-to-one correspondence uh, between the two, between his life and his lifeline, between his plans and their prayers, just like there is with us his life. Therefore, when I have finished this, when I put my seal on this fruit of theirs, that is, by going to Jerusalem and delivering a contribution he's raised for the saints, when I've done that, I will go on by way of you to Spain, and I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. He planned to go to Jerusalem, and then his plan was to go to Rome, and so that was his plan. How did he pray? Well, let's read it. Now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ, um, and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me that I may be delivered from those who are disobedient in Judea. That is, when I go there, I'll need your prayers. That is, pray for my protection in Jerusalem or else my plans aren't going to be realized. And that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable for the saints. That is, pray for my ministry in Jerusalem. And then the next verse, so that I may come to you in joy by the will of God and find refreshing rest in your company. That is, pray for my travel to Rome and for my time in Rome that is with you. Pray that I'll get there. Pray that we'll have a great time when I am there as we find refreshing rest in each other's company. Paul knew the degree of his dependence on the prayers of the saints at every point of the way, and, though he, and so he asked them to pray for every point of his ministry. It it wasn't by way of cliché that he asked them this. It wasn't just because he wanted to look pious. It wasn't just this nice, spiritual-sounding conclusion to this great book. It was a real request. It was a heartfelt desire and sense of need, of necessity, that they pray for him. Now, in light of this, it's not surprising that this wasn't the exception here in Rome that he should ask the church to do this. He does it all the time. It, it, it was his rule, the rules all through his writings that he do it. Colossians four, two and three. Devote yourselves to prayer, praying at the same time for us as well. Ephesians six nineteen, pray on my behalf, he told the church at Ephesus, that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth and to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, as we ought to be praying for Mark as he does that on this coming Sunday. That utterance would be given in his behalf as he makes known, known with boldness in behalf of these seekers the mystery of the gospel and of God's love. Second Thessalonians three one. Finally, brethren, Paul says, "Pray for us that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly." Hebrews thirteen eight. Pray for us, and I urge you all the more to do this, that I may be restored to you sooner. 2 Corinthians one eleven, And He will yet deliver us, He told the Corinthians, how you also joining us and helping us through your prayers, that thanks may be given by many persons in our behalf for the favor bestowed upon us through the prayers of many. We've been favored by God. We got this incredible ministry from God thanks to your prayers. And that created a sincerity of love for them because He needed them. Philemon 22, and at the same time also prepare me a lodging, he said to him, for I hope that through your prayers I shall come back to you. Philippians 1.19, my imprisonment and the cause of Christ has become well known through the whole praetorian guard and to everyone else, for I know that this shall turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Christ Jesus released by your prayers and then he sums it up fervently and briefly and powerfully in 1 Thessalonians 5:25 brethren he prays he he says pray for us Paul knew his life had better be linked at every point to his lifeline He knew the power of praying for one another. He knew the priority of praying for one another. He knew knew about the dependence that we all have on the prayers of the saints. And you can be sure that this dependency on the brethren deepened like you wouldn't believe the sincerity of his love for the brethren. The kind that comes from knowing is... uh, as he did at one point, that they saved his life, that he'd been delivered by his, their prayers for him. It was the same kind of love that Peter had after, I don't know if you remember the story, after the Pharisees seized him, Acts 12.4, and put him in prison, delivering him to four squads of soldiers to guard him. So Peter was kept in prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church of God. And as a result, you know you know the story probably, the angel of the Lord appeared because of prayer and ushered him out of prison. And when Peter came to himself, he didn't know if he was in a dream or it was real, he came to himself, Acts twelve eleven. he said, Now I know for sure the Lord has sent forth his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod. And when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, where they were gathered together and were praying. They were praying for him. And he knew then that they had saved his life. And he loved them all the more for it. Now, this isn't just early church stuff. It's for today, too. It's the kind of love that a man named Arthur Blessed had for a godly couple that prayed for him and saved his life. He's the one, I don't know if you remember him, he's the one that way back in, I think, the 80s, he carried this 12-foot cross Uh, over 21,000 miles through wars and through deserts and through jungles, through 71 countries, and six continents carried the cross of Christ and preached the gospel, and revival broke out in many of these places. Well, once he was in Nicaragua, and the Civil War was raging at the time. Remember the Civil War between the Sandinista popular guerrilla movement and the Somoza dictatorship? It was 1978. And Arthur and his friends were on the Pan-American Highway highway, south of Lyon. He carried the cross, and people, his friends followed him in a truck with Bibles and different things like that. And they had stopped along the roadside for the night in a place with just a few scattered villages. And an old man ran out of one of the villages and said, Don't stay here. They kill you. At night, everything on this road dies. Go to the next town and sleep at the church. You'll be safe there. To which Arthur Blessed replied, I never run. We will sleep where we stop with the cross. I have learned you never run. You must face fear and overcome it or it will haunt you. The old man who warned me made the sign of the cross as we parked the truck and the trailer under the tree. Here's the story. We opened some canned food, ate, and soon we were in bed. The night was hot and I was wet with sweat. A loud banging on the side of the trailer awoke me and the voice of a man saying, Narcotica policia! I shook my head sitting up in bed and pulled back the window curtain to look out. A gun was in my face. Narcotica, policia! I turned on the light, slipped into my pants, and opened the door. There were guns pointed at me. One short, middle-aged man put a pistol directly in my face, pushing me back and stepping in. All were in khakis or blue jeans and plain shorts, shirts. Several had mustaches, and most were in their late teens or early 20s. Several came into the trailer and looked around as if they were going to buy it. Don did not say a word. He's my friend, he, even though he spoke Spanish. Mike was sitting up in bed wondering what was going on. He could not find his glasses. What's happening, Arthur? What's going on with all these guys? He asked sleepily. Pray, Mike, pray. I began to witness in the little Spanish I knew. "Dios te ama. God loves you. Jesus will forgive you and come to live in your heart. They lined up about 15 feet away, raised their guns and pointed them toward me. Suddenly I realized they were going to shoot me. I was standing before a firing squad. The cross was on top of the truck and difficult to get to. Now, this is what flashed through my mind. If I'm going to die, I don't want to die without a Bible. These guns were all aimed at me, and suddenly I turned to the right, took about two quick steps, and reached out my hand to put the key in the truck keyhole. I did it on the first try. I was thinking, even if they shoot, I think I can get the door open before I die and grab a box of Bibles. The men were saying, no, no. I swung the door open, raised the front seat, and grabbed the Bibles. They had no way to know what I was getting or doing. Only God knows why they didn't shoot. But my thought was, if I'm going to die, what does it matter whether I get it from the front or the back? I set the box of Bibles on the ground and turned to get it open. After, uh, an opening in the box, after getting an opening in the box of American Society Bibles, I thought I'd give them all a Bible too, filling my arms as I stood up. But no one was there. What's happening, I wondered. The glory of God was present. And then I saw the unbelievable. All the gunmen were on the ground, flat on their backs. The short man who seemed to be the commander was lying inside the trailer with only his feet and legs sticking out. As I walked toward them, they began to slowly get up in a daze. The man at the door uh, collect, uh, collecting, sat at the door collecting himself. I said in Spanish, do you want a Bible? We won't bother you, he said. I grabbed a water bottle and offered them water. All of them jumped up and raced away into the night with no lights turned on the truck. I stood in silence. What had happened? It was all so fast. As I walked into the trailer, Don said, We thought you were dead. They were going to kill me, I said, but I opened the truck, got some Bibles, and when I looked up, all the men were on the ground. Arthur, we could hear blows of meat against meat. We thought they were killing you. Then we heard them holler, Oh! And they fell back, and one of the men fell into the doorway. We sat up talking and talking. At dawn, as I prepared to leave, carrying the cross down the highway, the people of the houses were there, They were saying, We saw a bright light. God was there, and the gunman fell to the ground. Now here's the point of the story. That very same night, in Phoenix, Arizona, some of my dearest friends, Paul and Jan, were about to go to sleep. Just as Jan was about to go to sleep, she saw a vision that I was about to die. She grabbed Paul and shouted, Paul, pray, something's happening to Arthur. She'd been reading Billy Graham's book, Angels, and she prayed in her own special and beautiful way, Lord, send 12 big angels down right now and deliver him. Soon they felt complete peace, and Jan said, Arthur is okay now. It was the same night, the same time, 2 a.m. Nicaragua time, 10 a.m. Phoenix time. A few nights later, we arrived in Managua, Nicaragua, and telephoned back to the States, and heard the rest of the story. Well, we need to pray for our missionaries, right? But of course, not just for them. Especially in a a day when America is now a mission field, and so many are falling away, some without even knowing it. When the powers of darkness have been released as never before, not just in Nicaragua 30 years ago, but in our country, a country that used to be Christian, we need to pray for each other. And we do in this church much more than many know. There's, there's the same New Testament dynamic going on right here. Maybe not as spectacularly as blessed uh, experience. Maybe, maybe we just don't know about it. But no less supernaturally. Many of you are, have been prayed for by the elders of this church, which we do on a regular basis. You've been prayed for again and again. Some of you know I've got all of your pictures from the pictorial directory on 3 by 5 cards, and you get prayed for by me on a regular basis and we have a prayer chain for uh, emergency prayer requests and there's a whole lot of praying that goes on in everything from small groups to iron hour to the women's ministry there's a woman who takes it on as her ministry she doesn't want her name to be known to sit at home and to pray for this church she has a passion for this congregation even though this isn't her church She prays and fasts for us. In fact, there are many such people who lift up our church all the time, not to mention the 40 days of prayer and fasting that we're in right now. We have no idea the kind of power that gets released when it's all focused on one place through one body. That's synergy. More than many probably know, just your being here is a spiritual lifeline because you're being prayed for. I know it's been true for me. In a lot of ways, what you see in the pulpit, to the degree that it's in the Spirit and of God, and obviously it's not always, whether today or, you know, in Gene Green's memorial service or whenever, my, my whole ministry, and I know this to be true in a way that you never will, is just this tip of an iceberg that's not me. It all comes from the prayer that's been supporting a very faulty pastor of yours for many years. It's because, it's because I have squandered so much of my time in prayer. Praying on company time, as one man complained in my first church 30 years ago. And it's not just me that you see. Many others have been praying for me. And there's a lesson there for you. So, so bear with me for just a second. Back when my dad died, when I was six, the one who my mother would end up marrying um, eight years later, Warren Myers, she turned him down, and he had to wait eight whole years. And you know what he did through that eight years? Never contacted her, said, it's up to you. If you could develop an interest, contact me. But before every meal, three times a day for eight years, he prayed for our family. Lila Trotman, the wife of Dawson Trotman, who founded the Navigators, did much the same thing for my widowed mother. In high school, I fell away from the faith. And uh, during that time, my folks asked me if they could ask their supporters to pray for me. And I don't know why I did. I didn't even believe in prayer at the time or even in God. Uh, But I I let them do it. And their missionary newsletter at that time went out to 1,500 households on a regular basis, and to this day, I run into people who've been praying for me consistently for thirty years. It's not me. It reminds me of First Corinthians four seven. What do you have that you did not receive, right? And if you did not receive it, why do you boast as if you did? If you did, as it, and if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? And all of this comes together in power. All of this reaches a critical mass in God's design in and through a praying church. When you place yourself, you know, under the umbrella of such a church, you're swept up in the coattails of the prayers that are being lifted up day and night. If this is your church, you've been prayed over, you've been fasted over, you've been lifted up on a regular basis ever since you've come here, even though we might not have known your name until later on. You get prayed for because this church gets prayed for. It's like guilt by association. It's prayer by association. So who wouldn't want to go to church? Now, this does many things on many levels, but in a lot of ways, the bottom line is the kind of caring that it creates on both the giving and the receiving end, which is Paul's point and my point today. As we turn to my second and final point, from, from prayer to care, to the care it creates. That's why in our passage for today, Paul asked them to pray for him by the love of the Spirit Verse thirty, because you see, it's all about love. Knowing that you're prayed for, it creates a sincerity of love, especially if you know that you desperately need it. You just talked to some of our people in crisis. I was just talking to Jill Parrott. In fact, I called them as they were on their way to the hospital for this huge surgery that uh, took place Friday, and we prayed together and put me on the speakerphone so that both of them could hear it. And she said, I just, you can just tell it, can't you, when you're being prayed for? Ever, any of you felt that way? Many of you have. You can just tell it. You just know. When you're at a time of need and the church is praying for you, she said, I can just feel it. It connects us with the love of the Spirit because it's by the love of the Spirit who's in us that we lift each other up, right? It creates a sincerity of care for each other when we pray for each other. I know it's true for me. I found that praying for someone, praying for all of you, day after day, you know, picture after picture, taking your picture into my heart and lifting it up visually to God creates this same kind of sincerity uh, towards you and me. Sincerity of love. And that's a good part of why I think Jean Green, why she loved so many. Because she prayed for so many, didn't she? She really prayed. It's so powerful in creating a caring community. Proof positive of the sincerity of Paul's love. Alexander White, the 19th century Scottish preacher, put it this way in a a sermon called The Secret Burden. Listen carefully. You simply dare not pray in public for other men any more than for yourself as they need to be prayed for you would be arrested and imprisoned under law of libel if you did it. But in private, neither your friend nor your enemy will ever know or even guess till the last day what they owe to you and to your prayer closet. His weaknesses and sins you may not so much as whisper them to your best friend, but you can and you must bear them, bear him by name before God. And if you do so, if you lift up their weaknesses and sins, and if you persist and persevere in doing so, though you would not believe it, you will come out of your prayer closet to love and to honor and to put up with and protect and to defend your friend and even your enemy all the more. The more you plead with God in His behalf. If you ever before God and in faith and love prayed for anyone with earnestness, you will then begin to feel toward them in a new way and you begin to have your answer return into your own bosom, if not yet into theirs, in the shape of real honor for them and real love and real goodwill and real good wishes and more and better prayer for those you so pray for. that's what paul meant when he said that we that, that when, when he said that we pray in the spirit of love because when we pray we connect ourselves with him who creates real love on the giving end when we pray for someone and who creates real love on the receiving end when they know they're being prayed for right especially among those who realize just how much, and they know this from the clear teaching of Scripture as we've learned today, it creates real sincere love, especially among those who realize how much it's their lifeline, just like Paul did, at every point of their lives. It's the same sincerity of love that Peter must have felt after he escaped from prison Right? And stood on the doorstep of that home and saw his dear brothers and sisters inside, on their knees, still praying with tears for his release. It's the same sincerity of love that Paul had for that little band of believers in Rome who he uh, had written to, and he asked them to pray that he'd make it there, and then he shows up on their doorstep after shipwreck, after imprisonment, after persecution, not to mention a poisonous snake bite that could have killed him, but miraculously it didn't because they'd been praying. He, he stood there knowing that he had prayed them, they had prayed him through. It's that sincerity of love. It's the same sincerity of love that, that Arthur blessed felt when he went back to Phoenix, Arizona and embraced Paul and Jan because of whom the angels were sent to deliver him from death. It's the same sincerity of love that we can have for one another knowing that we've been prayed for, that there is a safety net of care that we call prayer, one that we dare not leave home without or live without. And the knowledge of this necessity can unite us as a a caring community in all sincerity through the resurrected spirit of care, thanks to the resurrection of Christ, this released through prayer, which is just what we've been doing for the last 33 days. It's released through, through brothers and sisters in Christ, it's released in a lot of ways because we're in the same family. We're, we're in the same family because of what we're going to celebrate now, because of the blood of Christ that unites us. That unites us literally at levels deeper than natural kin. His blood grows deeper than any blood tie in this forever family that we call the church. And so how fitting it is that the Sunday before Easter this year is Communion Sunday. What better way to, to prepare for Resurrection Sunday than to remember his death? Powerful one-two punch. Rarely happens in the church calendar. To remember his death. And for that, we'll have the uh, servers come forward. You know, a lot of times, good can be bad in the economy of God. And bad can be good. In the cross, we remember that the bad became the good. The worst of the worst became the best of the best. And so it radically turns upside down our value system when it comes to treasuring the suffering that produces the glory. For some, some of you, things have gotten a lot harder. I've been talking to many of you. They've gotten a lot harder since we began our 40-day fast. A whole lot harder. Some hard things have happened, haven't they, over the last five weeks? And a good part of that is because when we pray and fast, often His deepest agenda gets enacted. And His deepest agenda is to bring us from death to life. He works most powerfully by letting things happen so he can resurrect the worst of the worst into the best of the best. He really does after the pattern of the cross to bring about a far greater glory than could possibly have happened without the agony Because we need to be emptied before we can be filled. We must be broken before we'll be made whole, like Michael's byline says in his email. How does that go, Michael? Broken into peace? I love that. We must die in order to truly live, just like him. And Easter is the time of year more than any other when We remember this, so have courage. Whatever's happened to you over the last five weeks, whatever happens in the weeks to come to you individually or to us as a body or to this country or internationally, remember the cross. Remember the resurrection. Remember that these together um, are now the very pattern of our lives, from death to life, from pain to death, to gain from groaning to glory. That's his promise. For this light momentary affliction, said Paul, is producing in us a weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Amen and amen. Father, we take in what stands for the broken body and the shed blood today. We take in the death of Christ as the sign and the confession that this is what you're doing in us as a congregation through this season. That there may be a resurrection. That we may bring life to the broken in the years to come. We commit ourselves to you to that end. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: can fathom the depths of your love. You are beautiful beyond description, majesty and throne above. And I say...
0: For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Father, having taken into ourselves the very symbol of Christ's broken body, as the sign and the confession of our brokenness and of your goodness in allowing that to happen to us, we now turn to the cup. And we thank you for the blood that was shed and the spirit that was released when that blood was shed and many were resurrected from the dead. And so we take this blood into ourselves, thanking you that you cleansed us from our sins And you gave us the spirit within so that in your time, having broken us, you could flood through us to life anew. We commit ourselves to you now to that end. In Jesus' name. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Well, why don't we stand? Now go into the world in peace, have courage. Hold on to what is good. Honor all men. Strengthen the faint-hearted, support the weak, help the suffering, and share the gospel. Love and serve the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit, the spirit of love. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen.